You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, We are starting the book of Acts today. Pretty exciting. And so if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Acts 1, 1. As always, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you just as you walk in. Um, Those are yours to use for the day, keep if you don't have one, Um, but... We just encourage you to, even though it's going to be up on the PowerPoint, most of the verses, uh, that it's a good practice and habit to like get used to opening up your Bible, figuring out where things are, getting comfortable yourself for reading the text that we're in, and you can fact check me that I'm not making this stuff up, and you can read it for yourself. But uh, man, I am so excited personally, I'm overjoyed to be going through another book of the Bible with you. Right, as a church so far, these, these couple years that we've been around, existed, we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, the letter to the Philippians, and today we start the book of Acts. And what we like to do here at Reality is just walk through the text that's in front of us, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, we don't skip anything. Uh, we go through the slow parts, the confusing parts, the weird parts. Uh, and the hard parts of God's word. And we see the value of taking God's word as it's written and see value in every single piece of it Uh, because we believe that God's word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, that it keeps us from sin, that it tells us of the person of Jesus, and that God has preserved it for us for teaching and correction and reproof and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. We are absolutely Bible people, so we're going to do that. We like to spend a lot of our Sunday going through and digging in and allowing God to speak to us of what he has for us. Um, As a precursor, I'm not really sure how long this is going to take to go through the book of Acts, Probably the good part of this year. Um, Uncle Butch and I just got together this last week and just looked at the first few chapters and scheduled out just the first kind of few months leading up to Easter, which is kind of crazy. It's three months away, like exactly. It's crazy already that Easter's around the, the corner. But it gives, if it gives you any idea of the pace that we're taking, we're spending 13 weeks in just the first two chapters alone. And there's 28 chapters. So you do the math. Um, We're going to be here for a while, but again, some sections of Acts are a bit longer and we can cover more text inside of a Sunday. But you get the idea. Like, this is where we want to spend this year. We believe that from the Lord, he has it for us. And he desires to speak to us through his word, specifically in the book of Acts, uh, as we enter into this new decade. And what today will be... Uh, is more of an intro, an overview, even a framework of what the book of Acts is and and where it actually sits in line with uh, the rest of Scripture. And my hope and goal is to start our time by giving um, a very broad intro to the book as a whole and really give us an overview or framework 
um, where it sits in the New Testament and canon of Scripture as a whole. But for context sake, to get our feet wet, uh, we are going to be digging into the first two verses, just a little bit, into uh, our time together. So let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and then we will pray. It says this, in my former former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for the incredible gift that your word is and that we have it in front of us. It's readily available. It's legal to read it. God, we have have more than enough that it's on the tables in the back. And God, we want to treasure your word. We want to see value in it. Help us to do that more today and as our time goes on to treasure your word in our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you write your word on the tablet of our hearts as as. The book of Proverbs would tell us we want to treasure it as gold and silver, more precious than gold and silver. Holy Spirit, have your way in our midst. Do what you want to do. Speak how you want to speak. Pray that you would anoint my lips to communicate these truths. I admit my inadequacy, but your adequacy today. So God, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that we would see you in the pages of your word. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, my personal wiring, like as a human, Riz, is I need to see the big picture of really everything. It's good, but it's also bad. But here's what I mean. I have to know like the big idea or the purpose over the, over, or the overarching idea of really everything I'm getting into or, or I don't like it. I don't do well with it. Like for me, none of the details of, of anything that it is, like a task or a plan or anything, will matter unless I know how they fit into the big picture. I just can't get over it. <laughs> I, I, I don't see the significance to any detail, and I just get lost in trying to find out where this detail fits in the task and why it matters. So I, I'm, it doesn't set me up good if I don't know the big picture. If I get a, but if I get a bird's eye view of it or a big picture purpose, then every detail matters. An example of this would be uh, traveling. If you know anything about me and my wife, we love traveling. We've had kids, so our traveling has decreased quite a bit. Um, we have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. But prior to that, and hopefully soon coming, what we love to do all the time was travel. We like to just save all our money, do whatever we could, sacrifice so that we could go. And for us, knowing that there might be a place that we're going, and we may not ever go to that place anymore... There's always been this sense where I got to get the most out of that city or that country or whatever it is. I don't want to, I want to soak it all up. I don't want to miss anything, like extreme case of FOMO. Like I cannot miss anything. I can't go to a city and then come back and people are like, oh, did you see that? And you're like, no, can't happen. Can't happen. 
Like, we've got to go for it, see everything, be your own tour guide. That's just how we work. So for me, when it comes to traveling, it's really important. And I somewhat even feel lost or can't enjoy the place I'm visiting in front of me if I don't first get a bird's eye view of that city or that place. Like, you just drop me into some city somewhere, I'm like, I don't like it. So for me, like, I'm, I'm a map guy. Like, I love, like, Google Maps is fine, but give me, like, a paper map. Like, a big one on the table. Give me an overview of everything so that I can, like, understand it. I can see the relations to everything. I can find the significant landmarks and where they are and how they sit in the city. And for me, a bird's eye view allows perspective, which brings significance, and I get bearing. I get my bearings, so to speak, even before I'm there. And for me, bearing and place brings confidence and comfort to navigate this place for myself. And without it, I really miss the importance of everything. I know that sounds complicated. But for me, the smallest detail of that city now or that place will matter because it's in line with the entire big picture of how it sits and its significance. The same thing is so true for the Bible. Anytime you read the Bible, you open it up and read a verse. The only way that we can truly know the significance and the importance of that verse or that section of verses is context. Context. Bible study 101. Context is everything. Absolutely everything. See, the Bible is, is a story. All these books, these 66 books, actually make up one unified story about Jesus. So just like any book, the Bible is not meant to be read the way most of us approach it. Like a lot of us like to open up and just, you know, do this trick. Like before work, I just want to read it, so I should read it. So then I open it, and you go, God, speak to me, which he does sometimes, which he does, but it can get you into trouble. And the reason why is it's, it's meant to be read as a story, like bigger chunks in context. Too little or too narrow a view, you'll miss the point. You'll miss the significance. So anytime we open up a study, a new book, like the book of Acts, unless we learn about the book, right, inside of the Bible as one unified story, right, because we know that it's broken up for us into 66 books, and these books, it's important to understand each book because even the books inside of the Bible are different genres, right? Some are poetic. Some are historical, um, some are like prophetic, some are narratives. And just like you would read a poem different than historical fiction, which I hope you would, right? We'd read it differently, we'd understand the meaning differently. Oh, that's not really what it means, or that's what that means because it's historical fiction. When approaching each book of the Bible, it's important to know what we're reading, So that we're not confused and we can actually draw out the true depths of its meaning. 
Because I believe that uh, to actually get the potency and significance, or even to, to, to be careful, because we'd be in danger to misinterpret it even if we just proofread it's called the text. If all we do is jump around and we're just quoting verses and kind of making the Bible what we want it to say, see how that's a dangerous place to be. A lot of people do it. And mainly it's because we just don't read the Bible correctly. And so what keeps many of us from reading the Bible correctly or, or most effectively, most fruitfully, are these very things. We jump in it and we're actually reading it wrong. And so what happens is it becomes super confusing, discouraging, and daunting because you just opened up the Bible to like Jeremiah 24, 31, and you're like, that is so strange that I just read that verse. Like, how did that help me with my meeting this morning? Like, it didn't. Yeah, because you, yeah, because you just did what you did. My hope is to give us more understanding and framework for the Bible as a whole, so not, not only from our time on Sundays, but as you read the Bible on your own, just as Mark um, pitch, you know, the, the, re the Bible reading app or any reading app that you would do. Anytime you open the Bible, my hope is that we would read it with more potency and significance. And instead of the details getting lost and not mattering, we should know the big picture so that every single detail matters. Are you with me? Okay, so Acts. So, so where is Acts? Where is its place? Where is its significance? What is it? Where does it lie in its biblical narrative, the bigger biblical narrative that it's placed in, right? Because it's one of 66 books in our Bible. Well, we can understand Acts by what the first verse of it tells us. This is a, there's a lot there, actually. That's why we're going slow. But Acts is actually a continuation of another book. So in our modern Bible, it sits by itself, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Like, it sits by itself. But its original reading was attached to what we call the Gospel of Luke, right? So, so the Gospel of Luke, which now sits beside Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke is the author that wrote the Gospel of Luke, but now is writing the book of Acts. So the author of Acts which also wrote Luke, is writing to a guy by the name of Theophilus, alluding to what is going to be written in Acts and is connecting to what was written in the Gospel of Luke. And so I want to, I want to read Luke chapter 1. So going back to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke so that you can see the connection here. So this is Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4. It says this, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So Luke's, Luke 1 and Acts 1 are similar because they're supposed to be one whole work, and they're written to the same person, Theophilus. So instead of thinking as Acts, as a different and separate book, 
We should think of it as a continuation of the gospel of Jesus according to Luke. So both Luke and Acts are historical narratives, right, as literary genres of Jesus and the early church. And it's really important. We'll miss the significance again if we don't grab hold of the fact that originally they were written as one work, Acts seamlessly coming after the gospel of Luke. And in the first century, these two volumes were circulated together as one complete and independent history. So so we think of it as Luke and Acts. It was one work. It was just the gospel according to Luke into the Acts of the early church, written to Theophilus. You with me? But early in the second century, right, the four Gospels written by other, three others written by other authors, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're gathered together into one collection and they begin to circulate as the fourfold gospel we have today, right? It's been said that the gospels we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're, they're telling the same story, but they have different viewpoints and there's different details that they'll provide. And so them together give a more accurate or full picture of the life and ministry of Jesus. An analogy would be like if there was a car accident at the intersection right here, which unfortunately there is quite a bit, um, YLI and 6th. If you were at different stoplights looking in and then the, the cops came and got a report of the accident that you witnessed, each of the cars at each different stoplight would have a different point of view of the same thing, right? So ideally, if you had four witness accounts, you get a more full picture, hopefully, of what happened. Makes sense. That's the Gospels in a nutshell. So early on in the second century, even though Luke and Acts were one work, these other, Mark, John, and, and um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them together, were put in one work to more tell a, a more complete story of the gospel. And so at that moment, what happened to Acts? Separated from its original text. So it's just important that we know that to understand what's happening here. And so at the time during that second century after the gospel collection was gathered, right? At that same time, there was a second collection of Christian documents being made. These are the collection of Paul's letters which is the majority of the rest of the New Testament. It's the Gospels, and it's mostly Paul's letters and some other letters and some other stuff. But what was happening was, right, the Gospel collection and Paul's letters are circulating. And these, um, and what Acts ended up doing was it actually plays an indispensable part in relating these two collections together. So now the Gospels are now connected to Paul, the Apostles' letters to the churches. And so what Acts does is it acts as a bridge from the Gospels to to most the rest of the New Testament. Acts is actually a very important, critical point to give understanding to the New Testament as a whole. And the reason why it's a bridge, because... Right, in regards to the gospel collection, it's naturally the sequel of the third gospel already. So it flows seamlessly from the gospels into the book of Acts. That's why it does that, because originally it was together. 
but also in regards to the Pauline or Paul's collection of letters, and I think there's 13 of, her, 13 of them we have in the New Testament. What Acts does, which we'll see over the course of this year, is it provides like a narrative background against lots of what Paul is talking about in his letters. We see Paul traveling on his missionary journeys in the book of Acts to certain cities, planting certain churches. Then we read there's letters that Paul wrote to those certain churches. So what Acts does is it actually brings some context and even validity to Paul the Apostle. Because back in the second century, what was happening was there was, it was an age of skepticism. People were questioning this faith, this resurrected Jesus, this Jewish, Jewish faith that was spreading from Jerusalem into Europe. Paul the Apostle, kind of being a crazy guy, was saying a lot of crazy things. And so there was this age of skepticism excuse me, that was coming. And so what Acts does is it actually brings clarity, context, and connection between Jesus and his early followers and the potency of their actions and words. Pretty cool. Again, we would never would have known that if we didn't take a 30,000-foot look of where, where Acts is in the greater story of the Bible. So knowing its place, again, that was like a lot of commentaries, like into 10 minutes. There's a lot more there. But knowing its place... What does the book of Acts consist of? Like, what's it about? Um, the late, great British Bible scholar F.F. Bruce gives us, I think, a really awesome summary um, that I want to read to you right now that connects the complete work of Luke and Acts together and the purpose of the writing. It says this. Luke announces that his purpose in writing was to give Theophilus whoever may he may have been, an accurate, an accurate and orderly account of the origins of Christianity, about which Theophilus had some information already. But he was anxious that Theophilus should be able to uh, rely confidently on the account now being given him. The earlier part of the account, contained in what we know as the third gospel, the gospel of Luke, is in essence a record of the apostolic witness to Jesus' ministry of the word, deed, suffering, and triumph, amplified by material collected by Luke himself. The second volume, the book of Acts, takes up the tale after the resurrection of Jesus and carries it forward for some 30 years. It traces the progress of the gospel along the road leading from Judea via Antioch to Rome and ends with the chief uh, herald of the gospel, Paul, proclaiming it at the heart of the empire with full acquiescence of the imperial authorities. Really British at the end right there. This is connecting Luke and Acts, I think, really well. And I, and I believe and I love and think it nails it on the head when F.F. Bruce said, the book of Acts takes up the tale, not that it's false, but the truth of the gospel, after the resurrection of Jesus, and it carries it forward some 30 years. It traces the progress of the gospel, because that is exactly what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts is, you can write this down if you have notes, 
the acts of Jesus continued by the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the first Christ followers, i.e. the early church. Let me read it again so it sinks in. The book of Acts is the acts of Jesus continued by the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the first Christ followers, i.e. the early church. So up to this point, up to the point prior to Acts, if, you, if you've read the Gospels, if you know them, um, when Jesus was with his disciples, when he, he gathered them and called them, and uh, we, we see three years of his public ministry in the Galilee region and, and in Israel and ends in Jerusalem, what we see is that Jesus had the wheel, so to speak. He was doing everything. He was preaching, he was teaching, he was performing miracles, he was uh, raising people from the dead. It was all to show the kingdom of God ushering in, and these 12 disciples, these ordinary, uh, ill-equipped, fearful, sinful guys, knuckleheads, like serious, were watching him, but they weren't really doing anything. Jesus was doing everything, and they're just sitting back and watching and, like, kind of participating, but not really. What we have in the book of Acts is Jesus passing the baton. He's giving the wheel to the followers of Jesus. I'm out. It's your turn to drive the car now. It's your turn to carry on the gospel into the world, into the whole world, not just Israel, not to Jews, not just um, those that are like you, but very much those that are different than you. Jesus was telling the disciples, the book of Acts is what it is, is we see firsthand the disciples taking the baton, taking the wheel, so to speak. And if the kingdom of God started to be ushered in in the person of Jesus... Right, which we see in the beauty, power, and miracles of God displayed, we now see these same things carried out through who, though? Broken, messy, sinful, inadequate women and men. So throughout the next year in our journey in Acts, we'll see just that. I love it because, I mean... If you guys have read Acts, like the second chapter, who does God use in the most incredible, powerful display of the Holy Spirit? And in one sermon, 3,000 people come to faith. Who is it? Peter. The same Peter that just mm, 50 days before denied Jesus three times that he never even knew him. The same Peter that had walked with Jesus for three years that literally betrayed him. Jesus goes, yeah, you're, you're, you're an inadequate. You have faults. You have failures. You're who I want to use. You're the kind of person, if you're willing, that I want to pour my spirit on over and in and upon I want to anoint and empower you to see my gospel come forth to the end of the earth through people like Peter. Church, 
The reason why this is good news is that we're like Peter. We're not supposed to have it all together. It's the whole point that God's glory and his beauty can be seen in our mess. That is literally at the core of the gospel, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't mean while you cleaned up your life and when you stop this and you stop that and when you fix that, then I can use you. No, 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 no. God's like, come as you are. I want to use you here and now and we'll clean you up on the way. Clean you up on the way. All of us are works in progress, and the beauty of the book of Acts is that we get to see ourselves in the pages. And there's so much more in the book of Acts, right? We'll see the Holy Spirit falling on the church for the first time and anointing the church and doing what he did, like through people like Peter. We'll see that actually the church starts. Like right now, it's not really a church. It's just a bunch of followers and they're walking around. And when we, when we say church, church like this, church like any church, if it's a Christian evangelical church, what they're thinking of is the book of Acts. This is the blueprints we have for the church. This is how we ought to be and strive to be like. And so we get to see people that don't know what they're doing try to follow Jesus. And we get to see that firsthand. And there's a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of stuff. But, but they, they're empowered by the Spirit, doing life together in community. And so we're going to look at all that. Also, uh, we see for the first time incredible, well, not for the first time, but there's, there's real opposition and real persecution that comes to the followers of Jesus as they proclaim the good news. Uh, we see the, the first martyr. We see... Um, a lot happening in the book of Acts. We also see miraculous conversions, right? We get to see firsthand the detailed account of Paul the Apostle become Paul the Apostle. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Christian killer. He was in opposition to the church. And God meets him miraculously and saves him. And there's incredible stories of conversion in the book of Acts. We also see the idea of mission. Uh, of taking the gospel from one place to another place that does not have it. Uh, we'll get to see Paul's missionary journeys, um, right, leaving Jerusalem and Judea through Antioch all the way to Rome. Uh, we'll see that in the pages of Acts. And we'll see the, the, um, the first churches planted and elders uh, put in place. And uh, it's incredible. So much there. Ch 28 chapters, at least a year of it probably for us. It's going to be an incredible time. But I want to end by asking this question. What does it mean for us? Like, you hopefully can see the significance of it, but how does this affect us personally? What does this mean for us? Well, we're actually living in what many would call Acts 29. Right? The book of Acts ends at chapter 28, but it doesn't end with a bookend. It doesn't end like that was good then and that's for them. And that doesn't apply to us. The story continues. We are followers of Jesus. We are the church. We might not be the early church, but we are the church of God that the people in Acts have now passed on through generations. And we've ended up with the baton, so to speak. The story still continues. It is no less relatable or potent 
for us today than it was back then. It's the same God by the same spirit who desires to use the same type of people that are broken and hurting and messy to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. And in the same way, as we'll read, God's will is that the acts of Jesus would be carried out in the lives of his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's so crazy is that in the Gospel of John, specifically, you know, John 15 through 17, Jesus describes a lot of what would happen here in the book of Acts, specifically in the life of the believer. And Jesus says a startling and strange statement in John chapter 16, verse 7. He's speaking to his disciples before Jesus died, and he told his disciples that it was actually better that he die and go away from them. This is If you're the disciples and Jesus is doing what he's doing and you're with him and there's nothing that he can't do and he's like casting out demons and he's raising people from the dead and he's like providing food for 5,000 people, like you don't want that guy to leave. But what he tells them, and he says this to them, he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus saying it, that For if I do not go away, the helper, i.e., the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That is crazy. As crazy as this was, we see that the purpose and plan in the pages of of Luke's gospel sequel is that we get to see the Holy Spirit anoint, empower, and use ordinary men and women like you and I, to do extraordinary things to see God's kingdom uh, come and furthered on earth as it is in heaven. This is God's plan. And Jesus said, it's better that I actually go, that I give you the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dwells in each of us. God calls us the temple now of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses. To Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1, 1 8. We're going to get there in like a month. But church, God desires to use each of us within our specific sphere of influence in this very same way. We are all a part of this. And so as a way of exhortation, I want to exhort us to posture our hearts with humility and with availability that we would allow God to fill us up and to use us more this year than ever before for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the incredible book of Acts. We thank you, Lord, that it is not some lofty idea that is confusing that we have to like have a PhD to understand. Thank you that we have the helper. We have the Holy Spirit to give us understanding to what your word says. But we thank you, Lord, that, that what it is, is it's, 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 a, it's a historical account of what the Holy Spirit does in the life of believers. God, we thank you that that is us. 
Thank you that this applies to us. It's for us. So God, I pray that as a church, as we enter into this year and, and in this season, Holy Spirit, we pray for more of you. We pray that we would become desperate to have the power of God working in us. You'd free us from doing things on our own strength and our own abilities. God, we want to be a people that are available to say, God, here I am. Send me. God, I'll do it. Your way is better than my way. Your thoughts better than my thoughts. God, we ask that you do that heart work in us starting today, that we would be a people that are humble and available to meet with you and be used by you. And God, I pray that we would really see our part in church history as a part of this baton passing. That the truth of your death, death and resurrection that first Israel knew, that spread to Europe and North Africa, that has now spread to one of the most remote places in the world. God, we thank you that the book of Acts has absolutely continued to be lived out, and we here in Hawaii are recipients of it. But thank you, Lord, that you're not done that you desire every tongue, tribe, and nation, every man, woman, and child that lives on earth to know this. God, help us to start with our neighbors and our coworkers and our families. God, we want to be used to continue to tell others the good news that we have trusted our lives to. Jesus, you died for our sins. You paid penalty and the price for them, and you rose again, defeating sin, death, and the devil, that now we share in that life and that truth. Thank you, God. I pray that you would move in our midst. You would do what you want to do.